Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. It's good to be back with you at the pulpit, and this morning uh, we're going to take a look at a Hebrew word called Shema. I don't know if you're a big fan of foreign languages. I've always loved foreign languages. But even if you don't really like that kind of thing, I hope that this message will hold your attention because I think it's really important and relevant to our own spiritual journeys. You know, growing up, I remember reciting the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed very often in church. In fact, in some churches I attended, it was a weekly thing, and we, we recited it so often I could do it by memory after a while. You know, back then, I remember thinking that these were ritualistic chants that didn't really have that much meaning. Uh, But, you know, having not done something like that in church for such a long time now, I can't shake the feeling that we've lost something important as we've given up the practice of some of these creeds and standard prayers for the church. For thousands of years, every morning and every evening, faithful Jewish people around the world have recited this simple prayer twice a day. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Lolam Vaed Vahavta Ed Adonai Eloheka Bechol Lavavka Uvechol Nafsheka Uvechol Meodecha It's a prayer called the Shema and its words come straight from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 5 and it's called the Shema because in Hebrew that's the first word of the prayer Shema which means hear The speaking of this prayer, each time it's done, connects that Jewish person over thousands of years to millions of other people who have said those exact same words to the same God. I think that's important. It's something that we're missing in the church today, as so many of our prayers are just spontaneous words that come to our minds. But this idea of being connected across millennia to millions of others who have known that same God, spoken those same words of truth. I think that's such an important thing. It's important to know that the main purpose of this prayer is not to teach doctrine or theology per se, but its main purpose is to remind the one praying who God is to them and who they are to be to this God. In other words, it's a prayer that establishes relational position. And this is an important kind of prayer. It's the prayer that says, don't ever forget who God is and who you are. When we look at the English translation in Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Those opening words establish this simple truth. There is only one true God, and He is our God. you got to remember that when these words were first spoken by Moses to the people of Israel, he was speaking in a world that was very polytheistic. That means that across the world, in all the known ancient world, 
Every culture had a multitude of gods, a god for this and a god for that, and you could choose which god was your favorite god. It's almost like the, the way we pick sports teams today. You would pick your patron god, and you would build your life around what that god stood for, seeking favor in that area of life over which that god had responsibility. And so as Moses speaks, and he refers to this one God, that there is only one true God, it was a revolutionary, almost crazy idea. It was monotheism in a polytheistic world, meaning that he's saying there aren't many gods at all. We can name many gods, invent many gods, but there is really only one true God who is above all gods. And this God, the greatest of all gods, the truest God, is our God. I think it would be good for us to reflect more often on that, more deeply on that idea. That there aren't many gods at all. And we're not so different from those ancient peoples who picked and chose their different gods. Uh, Each of us has done something similar at some level in our lives. We have idols of all kinds. Things that we value, that that are so important to us, that this is a non-negotiable for me. That spirit of wanting to cling to one aspect of life, it's in all of us. And yet in the midst of that, Moses says there is only one God. There is one who created everything, is Lord over everything, and He has revealed Himself to us. He communicates with us. So shouldn't we learn to truly listen when this God speaks to us? You know, in English we use words, hear and listen interchangeably, and that's fine. But what do these words actually mean? You know, in their podcast episode exploring this word Shema, the guys at the Bible Project came up with what I think is a really helpful analogy. They talk about, imagine that you and maybe a friend or two are walking through the forest, and you hear a scream. Now, as as soon as you hear that scream, there are several levels at which you can hear that scream. Level one is you receive the sound. That just means you happen to be in the right part of the woods where you could hear the sound waves of that scream coming into your ears and you can discern the sound. But then the second level is you pause and you say to your friends, hey, hang on, I just heard something. What do you think that was? That didn't sound like an animal. I think it was a person. And so you begin to analyze, focus, pay attention to the scream until you discern, I think that's a human scream from a person who is in great trouble. But then there is a third level of, uh, of hearing, and this is important because so often we stop after those first two levels, especially when we're listening to one another. But that third level is this, you respond to the sound. You follow it to its source so that you can offer help to the one who's screaming. See, if you stop at levels one and two, you just receive the sound and you reflect on the sound According to the English definition of the word hear, you could technically say, yes, I heard the scream. In fact, not only did I hear it, I correctly identified it as a distress call. But until you reach level three, can you really say you heard the scream if all you do after is just shrug it off and walk away? So I I think this this is really important. This is probably where the, the Hebrew and the English become most different, is that the Hebrew word Shema presumes all three levels of hearing. You can't just discern a sound, focus on it, identify it, and then do nothing. That isn't part of the the Old Testament worldview of what it means to hear anyone's voice. 
So I want to spend some time this morning unpacking those three levels of hearing as it pertains to hearing the voice of God. And I hope this will be helpful to you in your personal walk with God, but also in the way that you relate to other people in the world around you. And that first level of hearing is to receive the sound. You know, most of us have probably had the experience of being surprised at school by a quiz we weren't expecting. And I'm not talking about just a pop quiz, but you know that weird feeling when you show up in class and the, the teacher starts handing out a quiz and you're shocked, but everyone else in class seems to have already been expecting it. And you realize the teacher must have announced the quiz on the one day you were absent from school. So the information went out, the words were spoken, but the problem was you were not there to hear the words. And because you weren't there to hear them, you missed something important. See, this first level of hearing, this receiving, is just letting the sound waves enter your ears. And that requires that you are where the words are spoken, or you are reading where the words are written. Apart from actually receiving the words, there is no further thing that could happen in our lives in response to the voice of others. And we shouldn't make light of this level. What if it were you who were in trouble in the forest, and it was you that was screaming that day? Can you imagine how helpless you would feel if you were stuck, you were helpless, and you're screaming at the top of your lungs, but you're in a giant forest. What if no one's around for a hundred miles? Just the fact that anyone is within earshot and hears the sound of your voice, that's a pretty significant thing, isn't it? So we shouldn't make light of this first level of hearing, because it's the level which we so often fail to hear the voice of God, is we just aren't listening at all. We miss it. He's speaking But we're not there when the words are spoken. We're not there to read the words that were written. In verses 8 to 9 of Deuteronomy 6, that same passage where the Shema prayer is given, Moses instructs the people this way. And and this is where he's introducing the law of, of God to the people. And he says, I want you to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, put them in places that are obvious and visible. Many faithful, observant Jews uh, actually use something called a phylactery. It's a little leather box that they, they fill with tiny scrolls of fragments of Scripture. There are four passages in particular that are usually written and rolled up in little scrolls, put in this tiny leather box, and strapped to the forehead like an LED headlamp. And they wear that when they're in their morning prayers, as a way of taking this command of Moses very literally. And the point is this. Moses' point was not so much to do this literally, though it's not a problem, but to say, put the words of God in places that are impossible to ignore, places that are visible. That's why so often when I was trying to memorize Bible verses in the past, I would write them on an index card and tape them to the bathroom mirror because I check that mirror every morning before I walk out of the house as I'm getting out of the shower. If you put something on your, on your arm or your hands, or if you strap that box to your head, there is really no way to ignore it, is there? And if you put it on the door frame of your house or on your gate, you pass in and out multiple times a day. In other words, God is speaking, but are we hearing? When He speaks, are you there? What He's written, are you reading? Some of you may be old enough to recognize this device. It's a stereo receiver. 
And I used to just call it a radio until those rack systems in the 80s became really, really popular. And I, I remember wondering, why is it called a receiver? But then I realized that at any given moment, there are a hundred songs flying through the airwaves. But unless I have a receiver, those songs are inaudible to me. They may as well not exist. They are flying all over through the airwaves, but the receiver is the only way I can capture them and make any use or get any benefit out of them. You know, sometimes when I'm writing a sermon, it's strange. Uh, maybe it's because I've had conversations with this person over the last weeks or something, but God will call to mind a specific person or family that is really bearing a burden or struggling in the area that I'm about to address through the sermon. So as I'm writing the sermon, I can't shake their faces from my mind. And sometimes what happens is I write parts of the sermon almost as a personal letter to them. I'm wanting so much for these words to speak to their situation in their hearts. And as I'm writing the sermon, I, I, I feel this strongly, like if they will really hear and receive this, this could really be a great help to them. So you can imagine how I feel when I show up on Sunday to preach, back in those old ancient days when we used to get together for church, and I look out at the seats, and you'd be surprised how much I noticed from the pulpit, but I would look and scan for that person who was on my heart all week and be dismayed to find that for whatever reason, they missed church that Sunday. And I can't shake this feeling of wondering, what if there was a divine appointment they missed? I don't know why, and I'm not judging it for not being there, but what if that Sunday a word was spoken which God might have used to literally save their lives? Something that could have lifted them out of the well they had fallen into. That's not a statement about the power of my preaching, but about the power of the voice of God, His words. And what if the reason we don't benefit from that spoken Word of God, that written Word of God, is simply because we are not there to receive the words at all. He's speaking, but we're not in the right place at the right time. Uh, that's a challenge to you because it's been a challenge to me all week. Am I really receiving the Word of God regularly? Let me give you a, a second thing here. The second level of hearing is to take the, the sounds I've received, this is sound waves entering my ears, and then to process them, to reflect on what I'm hearing. If just letting sound waves into my ear was enough to benefit from the words of others, man, I'd have my AirPods in my ears and I'd be just streaming audiobooks and podcasts 24-7. If just hearing the sounds was enough for me to learn or to grow or to change, wouldn't you do the same thing? But obviously, Hearing has to involve much more than our ears. Six times in the Gospels, Jesus says the words, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's a weird phrase. And what he means isn't literally just whoever has ears to hear my words, because everyone hearing him can pick up those sound waves. But what he's saying is everyone will hear the sound waves, but not everyone will actually hear the words which I'm saying. Only those with open hearts and active minds will truly hear what God is saying through His words. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 again, and we'll look at verses 6 to 7, here's what Moses says. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What Moses is saying in these verses is this. To truly hear God's words, you can't just listen with your ears. You have to take what you've heard and begin actively engaging those words. The first admonition is to teach them to your children. Not all of us have children, but if you've ever tried to teach anything to a kid, it's the ultimate test of whether you truly understand a thing or not. I mean, I remember once a kid said, could you just draw a diagram of how to tie a shoe or write down the instructions? And I realized, I'm not sure I could do that. I could show you, I guess, but do you truly understand a thing? You want to know? Try teaching it to a kid. And then he says, talk about them. Don't just hear the words and then store it away, because we human beings are verbal creatures. We are social creatures. And as we talk about what we're hearing and thinking, sometimes in that dialogue, greater truth comes up. We understand a thing better often when we begin talking with other people about it. See, what I believe is that true reflection isn't just a silent and empty activity. True reflection might be a quiet dialogue, but it's still an active dialogue with God and with ourselves. So if you've ever been in a retreat and someone said, go and have some quiet reflection time, some of us just stand there in silence and just go, I don't know what to do. I'm just staring into the, the, the air and I don't know how to fill that time. Reflection is meant to be an active conversation. And private reflection is a, a quiet conversation with God or with ourselves. But then it can also be a very vocal dialogue with one another. Regardless of how we're reflecting, whether we're reflecting verbally in community or quietly with ourselves or with God, that level of dialogue, that conversation is so important to reflecting and processing what God is saying. And in fact, that's true of any conversation we have with anyone. We so often truly miss what another person's saying because we hear the words and we don't really reflect with what they've said. In James 1, 23-25, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this, For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James is reminding us of the difference between looking at a mirror and looking into it. That's really the difference between glancing at your reflection and really taking a hard look at what's looking back at you. What he's suggesting is that there is a way to look at God's Word that will not give you much benefit. This quick glance, this just casual, superficial reading of it, or the hearing of it when it's talked or talked about or, or taught or preached, is there's a shallow way to interact with God's Word, and there's a different way where we're fully engaged, we're committed to it, we are really focusing on what we're hearing. If we really apply ourselves in engaging God's Word, really reflecting on it, what James promises is that we will be blessed for having done it. Let me give you a third level of hearing. And again, all three levels of this hearing are captured in that single Hebrew word, Shema. 
And this third level is to respond to what we hear. When you look at Deuteronomy 6, we'll, we'll look at verses 1 to 3 this time. It's very clear. You can't miss it. There's such a strong emphasis on the assumption, the expectation that the Israelites will respond to what God is saying. It's not enough to just receive and reflect. God expects that there should be a response to what He says. You know, if we return to the analogy of the scream in the forest, imagine if we truly received or heard the sound of the scream, if we really reflect on it and said, I'm sure that's a person in trouble, and then shrugged our shoulders and just continued on with our hike. Could you really say that you heard that person's distress? That's a bit like if you've ever had this experience where you and a group of your friends at CG have this really lively, good discussion on a topic, let's say, greed or materialism. Pretty touchy subject. When you, we, we Americans rather talk about our, our sex lives than our money, right? So if we talk about materialism and everyone's like, oh, that's a really good point. Yes, I think that's true. Oh, man, I'm so convicted. And then you all go home and don't make a single change in the way that you use money or interact with your wealth. See, that's the spirit that God is, is trying to poke at. Is It's not enough to just go, man, I hear it. I agree with it. I processed it. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's like hearing a person scream in the forest and shrugging and just walking on and enjoying the day. It's a way of saying, I heard, but God will look at us and say, I don't think you really heard anything. What's interesting is that in ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey. Every time you see the word obey in the Old Testament at least in some of the more literal English translations, it's translating a word, Shema, which is another derivative form of Shema. Shema and Shema are, are, are the same root word. In other words, to obey in Hebrew is to listen, and to listen is to obey. There are two sides of the same coin. You can't separate having heard with responding in some way to what you hear. It's like when we tell a kid, you should listen to your parents, or you should listen to your teacher. And some smart old kid will be like, I did listen, I did listen, but you just heard the words, you did nothing about it. I told you to clean your room. I know, I heard you. Are you satisfied with that if your kid does that to you? See, the idea of truly listening is that we respond actively and righteously to the sounds that we've received and reflected on. If we look at a prayer, there's so many in the scriptures like this, but here's one sample. Psalm 27, 7. This is the kind of prayer that many of us have lifted up in times of distress. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? What are we really saying to God when we say to Him, hear my voice when I call? Are we really just saying, hear my words, and then be like, okay. Imagine, here's, here's a silly example. Okay? Imagine that you could send text messages to God. What if you sent a text like this, and you're just pouring out your heart? God, I feel unloved. I feel unseen. Nothing I do helps. I feel so empty. Come near to me. Help me. And you pour out your heart, and what if God sends back a thumbs-up emoji? 
Isn't that what we do when we read everything, but we really don't have the time or energy to give a full response? So we just go, I heard you. Received. Do you see how shallow and empty and unsatisfying a response that would be if we poured out our hearts to God and said, hear my cry. And he's like, I did. See, when we say to God, hear my voice, hear my words, we're not really just saying, listen with your ears, God. We're saying, come, respond, draw near, offer help, do something. Don't just shake your head or agree with me or nod or cry. Do something, draw near to me. And now let me ask you something. Should it be any different when God speaks to us? Is it right for us to demand that God responds to our voice when we deny Him that same response to His voice? I'm not trying to make us feel guilty, but the conviction should be there because so often we set a different standard for God than we set for ourselves. As if God is supposed to be more faithful to us than we're supposed to be to Him. And we've got that relationship so upside down. I think it would be good for Christians and not just Jews to recite the Shema every day just to remind ourselves there is a God, He is our God, and when that's true, we should be more concerned about our response to Him than his response to us. I've said this many times from the pulpit, but I'll say it again. God's main goal is not that we should get a lot out of the Bible, but that the Bible should get a lot out of us. We haven't really heard the voice of God until we've made some kind of response. Let me finish this way. When you look at verses 1 to 3 again, what you see is this. The word obey in our culture, in our times, has a pretty negative connotation, largely because people have so often abused their authority. But when God issues the command to obey, He so often pairs that command with the promise of blessing. I mean, look at this. In verses 1 through 3, he, he, there's at least three very rich promises of blessing. He talks about the land they're about to cross over to possess. In other words, they are homeless people wandering, but soon they will have a land that is their own. And if they obey Him, they will enjoy a long life, and they will enjoy it in a land that is not just theirs, but it's a good land flowing with milk and honey. So when you get to verse 5, And the command there in verse 5 is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. When that command comes, it's important for us not to feel the weight of that and groan and say, Oh gosh, this is so hard. Because the God who speaks, the God who commands, is also the God who loves us. So often when we love God, it requires a response of sacrifice and obedience But that sacrificial love, it's not a one-sided arrangement. It it flows in both directions. God doesn't want us to follow Him out of fear and duty and obligation alone. He wants us to follow Him because we love Him and because we understand that He loves us. That's why this law gives freedom. That's why it's not meant to be a prison, but a way to a life that is truly life. Jesus said, a very similar thing in John 14, 21, when he said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. 
Hey, church, God is still speaking today. And probably more than ever, our world needs the people of God to truly hear the voice of God and respond. Many today are seeing the troubled times and claiming that they are receiving individual supernatural words of prophecy. I don't want to get into the whole debate of whether God still works that way or not, but I think people should say that kind of thing very humbly, very, very hesitantly and cautiously. It's no small thing to claim to be speaking for God. But here's why I have a problem with it mostly, is that we haven't even come close to obeying everything that is written in Scripture. Do we really need words from someone on YouTube to tell us what God has already said directly to us in His written word, a word which we have largely ignored? Why don't we start there at the most reliable source of the words of God? It's the Bible. And we can begin there at the very least. I'm not saying don't have listening prayer, don't try to be open to the Holy Spirit, but at least begin there. We know that God has spoken to us through the Bible. And if we will go to His Word with a renewed commitment to truly hear what He is saying to us, to be there when that Word is preached or taught or discussed, to be faithful in our participation with small groups and church services, to be at that desk or on that floor at our time of devotion, sitting before God's Word, if we will be faithful there, and if we will engage with that word and reflect on what he's saying, and if as God makes clear to us the response that he wants, if we will humble ourselves and obey God, I believe then we really could be the kind of people who God uses to change our world. And our world needs change. I know we started with an ancient Hebrew word. But that word is still very alive and very important today. God is speaking. Will we hear what he has to say? If you really think about it, it should cause wonder to settle upon us that the God who is over everything, who is the source of everything, communicates with us. Our God is speaking, and He has spoken most clearly through His Word. Harvest, may you respond to God's voice, His words, by truly having a heart and a mind to hear and receive and respond to what God is saying to us. I believe that if we live this way in response to God's Word, we will be His hands and feet in a world that desperately needs to see Him more. May this be our calling and our great privilege in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.